I didn't know about that video um, or about those, those words that, that Scott just shared. Um, thank you. Um, thank you, Scott. Thank you, uh, each of you, for that. Um, I, I've been, um, been thinking a lot about this night, about uh, getting this, this chance to share my heart with you. Um, and uh, I've been really looking forward to it, looking forward to uh, a chance to, to speak uh, from, from this place um, here instead of up there, I guess. Um, I'm this uh, big mix of emotions, and now even more so after that, um, uh, because of uh, what this community means to me. Um, I, have, I have this, this deep desire for you to, to get to, to know who I am a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Um, and a desire to let you hear my heart, um, what, I, what I think about, what it means to live a life of worship um, in our world, in, in our neighborhoods, uh, but mostly as a community um, in this place. And I, I hope you get to see uh, here tonight some of that passion in me. Um, and really the, the topic that I want to talk about tonight is uh, in this series as we're closing up the 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 series on lives of worship is to talk about what worship means in community. Um, that is something that has really shaped my life. So we're going to take some time to, to look in the book of Acts um, to kind of guide us a little bit. Um, for, for those of you who uh, maybe are here for the first time, um, as now you know, I've been leading worship here um, in this community this is really only my third time speaking in this capacity, which I do fully mean to say as a disclaimer, um, because that way, uh, those of you who maybe are here for the first time, um, if, you know, if I'm completely boring and terrible at this, um, you might come back, because you'll know that somebody else usually does this instead of me. Um, but instead of teaching the whole the whole time, I wanted to I wanted to take some time to uh, to share my life story with you a little bit, um, kind of share about my journey and uh, my my testimony of sorts. Uh, something that I haven't really ever done uh, in the in the four years that I've almost four years that I've been leading worship in here. Um, so I'm just going to take some time to do that um, with us. Um, when, when I look back at my life, um, I feel like I could imitate uh, the Apostle Paul in, in this one little simple way. And we see in, the, in the, uh, the book of Philippians this instance where he writes out this uh, religious resume of, of sorts, um, where he, uh, he lists out the, the outward ways which he could be seen as this exemplary Jew. And, and for me, somewhat, my, my Christianity kind of looks like that. Um, so I can say, attending this church, even in my mother's womb, dedicated as a child of, of reputable Christian families who've been involved in church leadership, descended from pastors and ministers on both sides of my family, 
In fact, uh, my Christian heritage actually goes all the way back to the, the fourth century um, because I'm half Armenian, and that's when Armenia declared itself a, a Christian state. Um, as for education, uh, the, the local private Christian schools, as for attending Sunday school, I, I hardly missed a week. As for zeal, I started leading worship when I was in junior high. You, you could see I could, I could almost look back at my life and say that I've been a Christian for 1,700 years. <laughs> um, when I was here in, in, uh, in the junior high youth group, uh, they had this thing, uh, the, the junior high is the 8th um, grade leadership team. So if you were going into the 8th grade, you could uh, apply if you wanted to be a part of this team, go through this little application process, and, um, and uh, if you were accepted, appointed, you... you you were part of meetings and you'd do things like announcements and little skits and things. Well, when I was going into the seventh grade, follow me here, I was going into the seventh grade, they didn't have enough eighth grade leaders and they asked two seventh graders to be on the eighth grade leadership team. Guess who was asked? <laughs> yes, yours truly. Um, I felt really good about myself as a Christian. Um, I remember distinctly feeling like my life pretty much had no problems at all. I was, you know, I was breezing through life. Things were good as a junior higher. <laughs> when, uh, in, in reality, I, I gradually, uh, gradually just got really, really good at hiding things, at ignoring stuff that was really going down, uh, going on in my life, the issues so by the time I got into high school, I, I, must, I must admit, I, I look back and I just see this double life that I was living. Um, even in elementary school, um, I, I planted this seed uh, and started dealing with what I, I truly and, and somberly believe is increasingly um, this epidemic in, in our society and in, uh, in, even in our churches, maybe especially in our churches. And, and I use that word epidemic seriously. Um, it, it's something I think the churches increasingly are going to have to learn how to talk about, how to deal with. It, it started for me, um, even at that young age, um, not knowing how to deal with, with uh, things like lust and uh, with my attraction to women. Uh, in this world that is increasingly um, overstimulated with sexual images, sexual uh, themes, my, my struggle went from curiosity to pornography to uh, inappropriate physical, even sexual um, interaction with, with girls in, in high school. Um, and I, I wish I was talking about somebody else, talking about me. As to the law, as to legalistic righteousness, I was a complete and utter failure. And I knew it. I knew it. And all this time, all, all this time, guess what I was doing every Sunday morning? I was still a student leader. I was leading worship even. I was the biggest 
hypocrite I could possibly imagine. I, I, could, I could resonate with some of Paul's other words, um, like in 1 Timothy where he calls himself the chief of sinners. Or, or in Romans where he cries out, oh, what a wretched, wretched person I am. That's how I felt. Um, but this, this second life that I was living, it was still perfectly hidden meticulously hidden. And as long as it stayed hidden, I could continue pretending that I didn't have any problems at all. I can remember the day when my whole world came crashing down on me. Um, I really believe, though it was a, a painful experience, that, um, that it was an act of God's grace in my life. What I hadn't known and hadn't paid attention to was the destruction that was going on inside my soul because of the, the isolation, because of these walls that I was building around, the, the deep, dark things. I was, I was in Mexico on a mission ship of all things. It was near the end of my senior year of high school uh, when I was confronted by the, the sheer and painful loneliness, my distance from God and my distance from other people. I was uh, once again leading worship. You can, you can imagine how good I was at hiding things. And all at once on, on the last night of the trip, everything just fell apart. Um, I had this relational conflict going on with, with some of the people on the trip. Most of it was with um, one of the other female students that I'd had emotional and, and physical history with, and those things just hold power. Some of you know what that's like. I had uh, feelings of betrayal, but mostly it was this piercing distance from God. It's the only time in my entire life that I can remember literally weeping. I was morally and spiritually just broken. I literally fell to the ground on my knees, crying. Um, I remember making my way out to the middle of this field, um, this empty field, um, and this, this blubbering mess. I was distraught, ashamed. I was just trying to get away from people because I felt so exposed. I fell on my knees again and I looked up at the sky. On this trip, it had, been, uh, it had been raining and windy, just kind of awful weather. And on this evening, I looked up at this sky above me um, that was dark and, and cloudy. It was stormy and daunting. And I, I distinctly remember feeling that I was looking at a picture of my wreck of a life. This, this storm that was going on inside of me, and I was, I was just struck by a broken, brokenness I could no longer keep hidden, I could no longer ignore. In the, in the weeks after that, that wake-up call, so to speak, um, 
the Lord truly led me. Um, I, I even I, I believe He worked powerfully um, in the lives of some adult leaders around me to to reveal to them my spiritual state. And it was at that moment in my life that that I learned my my first lesson about Christian community. The ugly, the dark, the shameful things in our lives are not meant to be hidden inside of us. Part of being human beings means constantly having this nature that is prone to sin. It means that we find ways to sin. We invent ways to sin. But being a Christian, that means recognizing this fact and bringing these things before the God that proved his unending, undying, unwavering love for us in the work of his son, Jesus Christ, who in all the mystery, the scandal, the controversy died on a cross for a wretch like me. And he rose from the dead so that this wretch could have life in him and freedom from the weight of sin. Amen. It means first and foremost relying on Christ. But it also means relying on other Christians around us who can mirror back to us God's love when we can't see it ourselves. That's one of the ways that that God worked in my life. It's one of the ways that he works. Mirroring love back to us through each other when we can't see it ourselves. He designed us that way. We're not, we're not meant to live in hiding and in isolation. Um, that, that sort of life will hinder and, and stunt our relationship with God. Um, this is what I had to learn the hard way. Um, I never really had a, a typical kind of crisis of faith. Um, my, my crisis was with myself. It was a crisis of my, my sinfulness, a, a crisis of my hypocrisy. But to God's glory, he proved himself. He reached down in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my storm, and threw me a lifeline. He revealed his love to me. He revealed his love to me. Um, just continuing with my, my journey as I, as I went through, uh, went through college, my, my faith and, and understanding about what it means to live a Christian life, um, what it means to live for God's kingdom here on earth, um, was it, all these ideas were just stretched and molded, grown. Worship leading has been this odd constant in my life. Um, I don't know why. I can look back and, and say... I, I never deserved to be leading worship in, in my past. Um, in, a, in a real sense, I, I never really deserve to serve God um, in a capacity like that. But for reasons that are God's alone, He has he's seen fit to have me lead worship in, in every life stage that I've that I've been in from junior high to high school to, to college. Um, 
young adult, adulthood. But this time that I spent in college in, in uh, uh, a college group was, was really a, a time that, that really impacted what, what I believe about community, what I believe about what it means for be- believers to gather together. It's when this light switch kind of flipped in me, when I finally got it. So I want to I wanna look at, at the way that Christian community is defined, the way, what we see in the, in the beginning of, of Acts together to kind of help us see maybe a vision for, for what it means to be a Christian. Um, first, take a deep breath. Deep breath, because I'm done with my story. <laughs> um, th- uh, thanks for listening to that. I, I know it was heavy. Um, I didn't even know how to anticipate kind of how heavy. Um, the truth is that I've experienced such freedom, um, a freedom that is real, a freedom that is available um, to each and every one of us. Um, it is the story of, of Christ's blood, Christ's love covering and it, it is available to each one of us. Let's jump into Acts. Um, but before we, before we open God's word, let's pray together. Would you bow your, bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, you know, uh, you and I have talked a lot about um, this evening, um, especially in the last 24 hours, <laughs> thinking about what, uh, what I've just shared, thinking about what I'm going to share tonight. Lord, I do really pray that you move in this time. Um, I pray that, that no no part of what I just said um, would work to hinder anyone here from what you want to hear, uh, what you want them to hear about the life you want for them, but it only help us see more clearly your amazing grace, that it would only help us see more clearly what you have for us as uh, worshipers who live our lives together, so, Lord, erase and delete those things that would be stumbling blocks, things that I've already said or things that I will say. As we open your word, Lord, teach us. God, pierce our minds and our hearts with your truth and speak through my words. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Open with me to Acts chapter 1, please. Chapter one. I think to to understand the start of uh, uh, the Christian church, as we see in the early chapters of Acts, um, we have to back up and think about the amazing roller coaster ride that the disciples went on to get them to this point where they're starting and becoming the leaders that we see in Scripture of the first church. The journey of the disciples began back when Jesus called them to be his disciples. Um, This life of discipleship was a serious sacrifice in the Jewish culture. A disciple literally left everything and lived uh, virtually side by side with the the rabbi or the the leader that they were following. Um, Becoming a disciple essentially meant leaving everything, um, their, their trade, 
their livelihood, their lifestyle, their families, to leave it all, to, to live a life uh, of, of wandering, of, uh, of relying on complete strangers for support and for shelter. And these guys did all of this to follow this man, Jesus, who they truly believed was going to make... Oops. <laughs> was going to make... They believed Jesus was going to make uh, serious, legitimate political change in their society. And that's, I think, important for us to realize as we look at this. Um, The Jews had not been under their own rule for hundreds of years, and currently they're under the rule uh, of the Roman Empire. And ingrained in the worldview of the Jews, ingrained in their scriptures, was this idea that Messiah would come and restore Israel, restore what had been in the past, new and fresh. It's, it's clear that the disciples were expecting Jesus to bring this about, and, and as his closest followers, this meant that they were on the inside track. They were the closest. Um, we see them even um, arguing about who's going to have the, the, the best status in the new kingdom, and, and the mother of two of them tries to influence Jesus at one point into uh, giving them uh, places of prominence in the new kingdom. Uh, we, we see even as, as the narrative gets closer to Jerusalem, as Jesus gets closer to the crucifixion, this anticipation, um, they, were, they were more and more convinced that Jesus was going to renew the kingdom of Israel, and they were more and more confused about uh, Christ's language, about his death, about what, what Jesus said was coming. It just didn't fit. It's likely that, that these men, these disciples, were at the front of the crowd um, shouting the loudest and most passionately the day of the triumphal entry um, with all the excitement, with more excitement than anyone saying, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he, blessed is this man right here who's going to come in the name of the Lord and, and save us. They were expecting a king. And then from this complete excitement and elation where the, where the roller coaster starts to utter devastation just days later, this leader who held all their hopes and dreams for whom they'd given up everything to follow was, was arrested, he was tried, and he was crucified. How could this be? For three days, all of their expectation was buried and dead with Jesus in the tomb. And then after that darkness, the unthinkable, he's risen. Can you see the, 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 the heights, the excitement of expecting a king coming into his kingdom to, to the depths of this man now being killed on a cross the most brutal way. And then heights again, he's risen. You have to see it. And, and, and we do see it. Look at, look at chapter 1 of Acts. It's the risen Christ, right at the beginning there, spending time with his followers, teaching them about the kingdom of God, as it says in verse 3. It must have been a time of incredible anticipation. If he conquered death, he certainly could conquer anything. 
And you, you, see, uh, you see their renewed and in, intensified anticipation uh, in the question they ask him. Look at verse 6. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And then, <laughs> utter confusion again. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Okay, wait a minute. Time out, Jesus. Hold on. Stop. This, wait a minute. You're, this is not how it's supposed to go. Uh, you're joking, right? I mean, th- this, y- this is like one of those parables that you, you told us where you're going you're gonna to come back, gather us together, and then explain it all the right way, right, Jesus? I mean, you're, you're supposed to kick these Romans out of here, and, and I'm supposed to sit on your right-hand side, and then maybe one of these other disciples will sit on your left-hand side, but more likely you're going to choose me to sit on the left and the right, and I'll just kind of go back and forth. <laughs> Can you see that, that this is not the way that these guys were expecting this, this to happen? The, this, this idea of being uh, his witnesses was not in their worldview. Um, this idea of what we call the church was not an expectation. It's something they were not anticipating. And, and Jesus has now given them the task, this task, to be witnesses not just of where they're at in Jerusalem, but in all of Judea. Okay, that's all right. And, but then in, in Samaria, and, and wait a minute, Jews and Samaritans don't even mix. And, and to the ends of the earth, but that's where the Gentiles are. It's a, it's a huge job change. It's a huge change in the job description. But as we follow the story, right away, if you're looking and moving forward right away, this is exactly what they become. They become witnesses. This is the idea of, of being witnesses of, of Christ's public ministry, of his resurrection, is the primary role the apostles and the earliest uh, Christian church played. Um, right away, that was their message. The, the Holy Spirit indeed comes. Look over at chapter 2. Comes and we find this episode at the beginning there, which the disciples are given this miraculous ability to speak in many different languages. Uh, before a crowd, it says, of every, from every nation, a crowd of Jews that have come to the city at this time of the year, from every nation under heaven. So uh, essentially, these um, Galilean Jews are given the ability to speak every language under heaven. And there are these other Jews that are in the city listening to these Galileans speak their own native language. It's this powerful incident, and the people are amazed. And, and some of them think, oh, those, those Galileans are just drunk. But Peter gets up and, and essentially gives the first Christian sermon. And he, and he points back, he, he brings in their worldview, the, the worldview of the Jews, points back to the prophet Joel, you see there, points back to King David, but he's pointing to 
the resurrection. See, uh, pick up with me um, in verse 32. Verse 32, chapter 2. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then we see this picture of, the, of this first church gathered together. At verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These disciples indeed became apostles, those who had witnessed, witnessed and could speak about, speak to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this first church comes into being. It's, uh, it's amazing to, to look at, at these things that characterize this, this first church, these four things, and see that they're they things that we carry as a, as a heritage, as a legacy, things that we carry in our churches to this day. Look at them there. Um, the first one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As I, as I already said, the apostles were, were instrumental in passing on this knowledge of Christ's ministry, the things that Christ said as he walked on earth about his death and about his resurrection. It's what we have in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's that narrative that they shared with, with people. It, it's also the the very thing that, that uh, instructs the, the rest of the New Testament and instructed the Christian practices that we know of back then. The second thing they devoted themselves to was fellowship. Uh, the word koinonia. It's this gathering together. It's that sharing lives together. Uh, sharing possessions. These, these are the traits that marked this, this church. The third thing was breaking bread. 
um, both in the sense of fellowship and sharing meals together, but, but more importantly, it was remembering Christ's blood. It was remembering his body, taking, uh, taking of the Lord's Supper, the, the Eucharist, communion. And, and fourthly, it was prayer. Um, and uh, we see these little pictures, snippets, throughout the book of Acts of, of the church body gathering together in prayer. Even a few chapters later, we find Peter interrupting this prayer meeting that was going on to let them know that he had just been freed from prison by an angel. Um, the, the people gathered. The people gathered together and all these things happened in Christian community. And so as as we look at our, our lives now, as we look at our setting here today, we can see that the church uh, throughout history has had to f- find ways to live out this life that God has revealed. The, the church has often been this uh, mixed up place of, of messed up people. Uh, but it's constantly been true that, that God has chosen to work in his people in the setting of church community. That's how it works. So that if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you believe in his life and his death and his resurrection, you are meant to live in Christian community. You will not understand nor fully live the life God desires for you apart from wrestling it out with other Christians, with other followers of Christ. Um, you were never meant to, to live in isolation, um, whether by staying far away from other Christians um, or by um, living your life in a way that is um, so hidden, um, letting, letting hidden sin, letting uh, darkness build up walls around you. It's not how we were meant to live. So, here in Warehouse, um, as we complete a, a series on lives of worship, a series where we've looked at some, some of the, the practices, the, the Christian practices of worship that, that we do together, our lives of worship, um, we've been led as a community in some specific ways. We are a community of concern, a discovery of faith. We want to live out being church from the inside out. We seek to embody honesty, mystery, holistic transformation, reconciliation, and advocacy. We gather on Sunday nights. We gather in hubs. We gather in small groups. But all these things are, are just uh, titles. They're just structures, models that we've, we've given to, to the things that need to be essential in our lives. And, and the vision that we have, the, the core values, the, the structures, these things are not the end-all, be-all. But what we do is we look at Scripture and we, um, we, see, we see these things that we are supposed to, as a church, align ourselves to. Um, we are to be devoted to God's word and, and the teaching passed down from those disciples that were uh, 
direct witnesses, not just of what Christ did and what he said, but of uh, his death and, and of his resurrection. We are to never neglect meeting together and sharing our lives, um, sharing our resources, but uh, sharing our lives. I, I, uh, I wanted to share my, my story with you tonight um, because I just believe in this ethic of being open um, in our Christian communities, um, realizing that there's um, degrees of discretion and, and, and things, but I, I truly believe that this community could be impacted by us opening our lives up to each other uh, more. That you need people to hear your story. You need people to hear the things that are going on in your life. And the people around you also need to hear it. And they also need to, to share. Um, it's a way that we're transformed. And it's, it's truly meant the, the world in my life. Um, it's, it's good, it is good, and it is right for us to celebrate the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper together, to take communion, remembering the body and the blood of Christ. And it is, uh, it's so good for us to have meals together in, in that kind of fellowship and, and going out after, you know, even on Sunday night or meeting in people's homes to, to again, share life together. And we should also be a community that engages in prayer. Prayer should, prayer should also be happening um, in our homes, in our fellowships, um, in this place. Um, again, I say this to you. You are not meant to live in isolation. The life God wants for you is with him first and foremost, but it's also with others, and it, and it is fulfilling that greatest of commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, warehouse, who is your neighbor? Look around you. I, uh, I don't know where you're at in terms of, of engaging uh, in this community. Um, I, will, I will say I, I, we, we are not a cult. We don't believe that you have to be engaged in this community. Um, but whether you've been here for eight years or this is your first time or um, you're just on a short assignment with, with work in the area or you're a fuller student who who just plans to be done with their degree in, in the next six months. Um, we have the opportunity to, to, uh, to live a life in community in this place. This is just, one, just, just a place to do that. Um, there's lots of places around here. This is just another place to do that. You may be plugged in somewhere, but if you're not... I encourage you, I implore you to plug in. 
This is, this is really a transient community. In six months, there'll be faces out here, people that I don't see now. But for however long you're, you're around here, um, it's worth getting people into your life. Um, it's worth living out this, uh, our, our lives of worship together in community. Um, I've said enough. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for uh, for your word, for um, for how you've revealed yourself to us um, in uh, ancient words that are um, this, these eyewitness accounts of what took place with your son, um, how you have truly reached down and saved us um, how you have shown your love how you've drawn us into lives of worship Um, I pray that you would reveal more of what it means to be your follower I pray um, that as we take time now um, to uh, to sing to uh, to worship you through music as um, as this this practical way that we can worship with our with our bodies with our with our mouths. I pray that you would be glorified, that you would uh, both be high and lifted up by what we bring you, but also that you would continue to speak to us the way that you do. We do give you glory and honor. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.